Welcome to the Eric Schlein Podcast, where personal development platitudes can get the hell out. Completely devoted to ontology, breaking down distinctions of human consciousness as an access to enhancing performance. Here's your host, Eric Schlein. Molly McLaughlin. Molly, hi. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I am good. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. I've had people on my investing podcast before who have like really weird, hard to pronounce like European names. And I've never butchered it once, but McLaughlin and couldn't do that. Yes, so. it was perfect. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> it's anyway, a pretty phonetic spelling too. Yeah. That's what it is. It kind of caught me by surprise. I've never said your, I've actually never said your last name. Like I've known you for a few years, but I've Never said yeah. McLaughlin. I hear it in my head, but then when I say it, I have to think about it. I like, totally fucks, get like, that. Fucks, fucks with my tongue. Yeah. So <laughs> where, where, where are you based right now? So right now, uh, my boyfriend and I have been in Vegas for most of the lockdown, actually. It has served as a surprisingly nice place to kind of hunker down throughout the course of, you know, all that this year has brought, really. <laughs> cool. So how's Vegas? It is great. And I'm sure we'll get into this with the sleep topic, but a lot of what I'm doing with sleep is looking at uh, circadian rhythm optimization. So a lot of light exposure. And because Vegas is one of the top 20 sunniest places on the globe, then I'm pretty into the amount of um, vitamin D that you can kind of build over here. (laughs) Okay. With the pandemic and everything, I mean, is it mostly like the strip clothes or is it like weird? What's that like? Definitely weird um, on the strip for sure. It's just odd seeing droves of people in mass and sometimes not droves of people, sometimes just, you know, really an empty experience over there. We aren't on the strip, so we don't actually go there too often. Before, previously, we're half based in Manhattan and half based over here. But one of the things that we've now learned of being kind of around a bit more locals is that a lot of the locals just don't go to the strip that often. It's kind of Almost like in Manhattan, you don't go to Times Square. Times Square, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've heard that. I've never been to Vegas, actually. Oh, interesting. All right, well, come on over. (laughs) Yeah, people, everyone thinks I've been to Vegas. I've Even yesterday, someone texted me like, I'm sure you've already been to Vegas, but do you want to come out? I'm like, nope, never been to Vegas. (laughs) Literally just came up, literally just came up last night in a text. That's so funny. What are the chances? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting place. It's, you know, just last week I'd been out to brunch with a, or the other week I'd been out to brunch with a friend. And while we're sitting there, we're like, let's go hiking. And you can just drive. It was like 10 minute drive to go to the Red Rocks. You know, so it's an odd thing where there's kind of like the access to nature and the proximity and you're right near like Utah and a few other spots. But then of course there's like a Times Square version of a lot of activities normally when, when COVID's I mean, not happening is, right there. It is desert, right? I mean, it is mostly yeah, desert. Yeah, totally desert. Strip, right? Oh, yeah. Very, like, quiet, sort of low-key desert vibes outside of the craziness of the strip. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. 
Yeah. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? You're always doing something. I know. That's very well said. So basically, I would say that this year has been really transformative for myself and certainly my business. And despite obviously having a whole set of plans that didn't go quite the way we had originally intended, it ended up being a really nice time to kind of uh, focus on my business, expand that, have been on over 80 podcasts this year on the topic of sleep as guesting, and then had launched my podcast earlier this year. And recently it got ranked as the top six in out of the top 30 sleep advice podcasts by Feedspot. So that was exciting. You know, so just starting to really be able to kind of draw attention to this topic of sleep. Unfortunately, it's on, you know, under the premise in a lot of ways of COVID and out of necessity, because mm-hmm. so many people are struggling with sleep for many reasons. But, you know, the silver lining is that it's getting the attention I really believe it deserves. I mean, what do you do for work? Like, is this like actual like main gig or? This is the main gig. Yeah, absolutely. And it came out of just, you know, solving my own problem because really this was born when I first became a digital nomad. So now almost like four years ago in the lead up to that, I had like my own breakdown pretty much and then just could not sleep. And it was one of the things that it manifested as was, Mm -hmm. you know, I was getting super anxious and had a couple of panic attacks, which I never had before. And then part of the experience was while when we first traveled, one of the first times for me dealing with jet lag, like international style jet lag, which I had never really been accustomed to. And then like turned into just like an experience of long-term insomnia that felt like I was losing my mind. And it was so scary and really probably like a big rock bottom moment in my life that Mm -hmm. while at the time seemed like there is nothing good that could be coming from this, then flash forward, it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me because it had me turn upside down um, so much of my kind of habits and, and really my lifestyle to then shift gears and not only transform my sleep, but my health and mental health and anxiety levels, um, physiological experience, because I'd been getting sick a lot leading up to that. And then it became something that I just couldn't shut up about, basically. And so that started, uh, had worked with a few people on their sleep just because they were struggling and I could certainly hugely empathize. And then it built into kind of small group trainings, one-on-ones, and then became a a weekly newsletter with a focus on that, with uh, sleep optimization. And now it's become a whole, you know, a whole company. And now we're launching cohorts model coming up in the new year. So that's going to be exciting. And yeah, it's been really fulfilling. And I feel really grateful now to have found something that really is, you know, making a difference, certainly in my own life, but then in other people's lives too. Do you do research as well? Part of what you do as well? Yeah. So basically, I my uh, newsletter is called Molly's Monday Obsessions because I'm such an okay. obsessive nut. And um, so on the topic of sleep was, you know, it's probably partly part of the reason that I would have been someone that was dealing with the inability to turn off my mind, turn off my brain at night was just the, those obsessive tendencies. And yet it ended up on the plus side, uh, being part of the thing that kind of brought me out of that time because I just went down the rabbit hole to how to solve this because when I went to the doctors, it was that bad that I went to the doctors in Croatia with Google Translate and left with their version of Ambien and was like, this can't be path for me, right? And so then it was, okay, so how do I really transform this from a behavioral standpoint, uh, emotional standpoint, physiological standpoint, really when particularly became fascinated with chronobiology, really just the science of time and understanding, you know, how to strengthen my own circadian rhythm 
coming at it through the lens of sleep ended up being really phenomenal because it continues to be this cool puzzle to further optimize, um, you know, using different sleep trackers. And I have all my clients wearing sleep trackers so that I can, uh, we can use that as kind of a base accountability model. It really gamifies wellness in a lot of ways. Hmm, interesting. Now, I mean, well, I guess what I was asking before about research, I mean, are you conducting studies yourself? That's what I was oh, wondering. I see what you're saying. Oh yeah, of course. So we haven't held our own studies, but what has been cool is as a facet of just logging kind of large scale data, that's been intriguing to be able to, you know, kind of just from an anecdotal perspective, but certainly then uh, one of the things that we're going to do with the cohorts model is going to be similar to almost what some of these continuous glucose monitor companies are starting to do. I don't know if you've seen them kind of popping up a lot. And we actually, we ran a kind of cool, it's very small, there's only uh, 12 people on it, but we had a dashboard with levels, um, continuous glucose company looking at glucose levels as it relates to sleep. So we're overlaying that with aura ring data. And that was pretty insightful because then we're able to see certain, because what we're trying to look at for that was the correlation between dropping glucose levels and wake-ups throughout the course of the night. Because why that's kind of a new frontier is that as of right now, it's really notoriously tricky to find glucose information for people that aren't either diabetic or pre-diabetic. So now that there's starting to be this kind of emerging focus on presumably quote unquote healthy people now wearing these glucose monitors, which often, even if they might look or appear healthy, we might see wild swings in glucose or, or certainly some swings, right? So if we start looking at that, then it's a really cool way to start correlating just on this isolated element, wake-ups and what we're eating, the timing of what we're eating, and the fact that glucose is something that uniquely runs on really its own circadian rhythm as well, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. I mean, what do you mean by that? That glucose so, on the circadian rhythm? Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of a... That, something, sounds, that sounds wacky. When you just it's wacky, it. right? So, and what you see, so practical application is if you say if yourself or your listeners, you know, take the challenge to wear like a continuous glucose monitor for 14 days or whatever it is, you put that on and then you start to quickly see that if you eat a slice of cake at 8 a.m. and you eat the same slice of cake at 8 p.m., that the body tends to elicit a higher glucose response in the evening versus the morning. So meaning that there is this kind of circadian nature to even our ability to, to process or to, for the glucose levels to stay stabilized later on in the evening. And if we think about it, all of the things that I'm doing with sleep as a skill is really hearkening back to like hunter-gatherer days in a lot of ways. And if you think about hunter-gatherer days, certainly we would have most likely been eating much past sunset because would we have been able to have refrigeration processes? No. Would we have been able to go hunting and pitch black? Unlikely. All these things we wouldn't be eating in the same way we are now, really post-sunset. And if you think about it, I mean, certainly for me, again, to use myself as an example, for years I was living like a bat or something <laughs> upside down. Right. I was pretty much, you know, going to bed late, you know, eating late, watching whatever, popcorn with Netflix and wine or something. And all of those things send a confusing signal from a circadian perspective to our body and our health. But on a glucose level, it's leading itself to look at a couple of things around uh, some of the benefits of circadian rhythm intermittent fasting, which is like a fancy series of words to really just denote like looking at eating between sunrise and sunset and some of the benefits of that. And then a more kind of like, not extreme, but a strong, longer fast of early time restricted eating. And so that you're ending. Uh, your meals around like 2 or 3 p.m. or so. I mean, of course, depending on your bedtime and wake time and what have you. 
And so I practice a little bit in between the two of those for the most part. So ending my meals early, and then we see the glucose benefits that can come from that. And so if you're measuring with those continuous glucose monitors, you can start to see that. And how that relates with sleep, of course, is that one of the top things that we look at if people are having complaining of a lot of frequent wake-ups, you know, there's a number of reasons that could be at the source point of frequent wake-ups, but barring, say, like, you know, some sort of clear physiological ailment, what have you, from a behavioral standpoint, the instability of blood sugar throughout the course of the night can really cause those frequent wake-ups and also the type of wake-ups that have you up that are like the annoying type of wake-ups where, and the reason for that is when you have that stark drop in glucose, then the body kind of freaks out momentarily, then releases cortisol and adrenaline. And so of course, cortisol and adrenaline are kind of the antithesis of what we want while we're, you know, in the middle of a sleep period. And so that can be those type of wake-ups where you're just like, why am I like wide awake at four in the morning or whatever it is? And, And why is that? If it's in that area of the blood sugar concern, then that's relating to some of those drops in glucose. Um, And sometimes it can also be difficulty with sleep latency. Say if you have elevated blood sugar before going to bed, and often that can actually have a like kind of thermal regulation effect and your body temperature is really important to sleep quality and quantity. And so if your body temperature is going up when you're aiming to go to bed, that can be those are counter signs to the body of the normal function that we would have in order to get ourselves sleepy. So that can impact our sleep latency numbers and just make it harder to fall asleep, basically. Yeah. When you've been, you know, researching and and, and doing your work with clients, is there anything that like, if you, if I was to ask, you know, what's the, like the weirdest, most just non-intuitive thing that you've discovered? Is there anything that's just like completely bizarre that makes a huge difference that you would never think would, and it's like almost across the board? Okay. So This one, if you're in like biohacker sphere, then this might not be as outlandish, but for people that haven't heard of this, it can occur as, occur as very weird, which is mouth taping. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of this. Yes. Just go go ahead with it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So mouth taping can actually be really, can cause a clear measurable difference in your sleep stats, depending on the person and and their kind of habits. But so what you do is you just tape your mouth before you go to sleep, um, which, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole process can be a little odd and actually can take people. I usually suggest, you know, that they're giving it about a week just to even get comfortable and used to that. Some people have like anxious kind of panicky response to the sense that, you know, they can't breathe as well or whatever. What if your nose gets congested in the middle of the night? Like what the fuck? Yeah. So one of the things about that is that we're training for breathing throughout the nose, um, certainly during the night, but then also we're trying to train for that during the daytime too. And that is something that if we're training for that, then for some people, if they are dealing with some of the congestion, then that can be something that you can um, do some of the like neti pot, like the nasal rinse and that sort of thing. But ideally, because if we're looking at quality of sleep and just overall health and our ability to stay in you know, more of a parasympathetic state, the ability to breathe through our nose is really an important element of that. Um, there's a book that is getting a lot of buzz uh, called Breathe with uh, James Nestor, put that mm-hmm. out. And he was a part of actually speaking to the um, different studies conducted. He volunteered himself to do the opposite, where he plugged up his nose for a study and then to look at what would the quality of his sleep be if he was only mouth breathing exclusively. 
And, you know, spoiler, the results really, really stunk. You know, the quality of sleep was very, very measurably, you know, going down for the the results that we want to get. So, so what you can see is if and it really helps if you have a sleep tracker, because then you can see your respiratory rate numbers, which is just, you know, the amount of breaths that you're taking per minute while you're sleeping. And then if you wear, um, if you try the mouth taping, and then for many people, you'll see like a real measurable difference. And that can help with the motivation to do something sort of weird like this. And then the other thing is that it's even um, been found to be beneficial for children too, that are mouth breathing, or even can help with like grinding, Certainly snoring can be aided with this, not necessarily for kids, but sometimes kids, certainly for adults. And, you know, so that will help with all of that obstructive breathing and the ability to feel more rested and refreshed the next morning can be greatly aided if you're helping with the ability to breathe properly throughout the course of the night. What kind of compliance rate? I mean, you're going to see with that. I mean, hey, little Timmy, come here. I'm going to tape up your mouth tonight. <laughs> How does that work? That is a very good point. Yeah. So there's where therein lies the. I just the can't habit imagine being a, five, being a five year old and agreeing with my mom to tape up my mouth before going to bed. <laughs> yes, I hear you. So you have to be definitely very convincing parents. Part of um, some of the approach, and I don't work at all with you know kids or new parents or any of that stuff. I'm really you don't working. have and you don't have kids yourself, right? And I don't have kids myself, so you know um, you're going to be one of those moms that's like literally come here. I'm going to tape up your mouth. Like, <laughs> I'm like such like, a weirdo. I know. Oh my I've, god. I've said that, that I would just be like the weirdest mom on the planet. Is your your boyfriend like freaked out by that? Like, I mean, well, he's also, we've also, we've joked that if we had kids, we would be like helicopter parents, which are like the worst type of parents, arguably. And so we really have discussed this because it's a real question. Like, do we even want kids? I don't know. But it's a whole other topic for sure. But what I have heard from success rates for different people is one of the things that seems to be a winning formula for some parents is they're kind of leading by example and like, oh, it's this fun thing that we always do before bed, like tape our mouths, you know, odd things, right? Uh But such a Uh weird image in my head right now of a whole family just sleeping (laughs) their mouths taped up. It's like the uh, the holiday holiday Uh, postcard. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's certain odd things and there's... um, Why wouldn't that be evolutionary though? That I was was just going to say that. Thank you for... I, it was like you were in my head. That was very cool. <laughs> I've done enough of these where I feel like this happens too often. Yeah, that was very cool. Well, there's this interesting theory. Um, Weston Price is a... One or uh, two. One or what's two. That? Uh, one or two what? Number one it? or two. Pick a number oh, one or two. Oh, uh, let's one. see. Two. It's a, oh. uh, okay. Well, there I you go. switch okay. my one. I had see, originally you, thought it, one. It, was, it was what originally was. So I got it oh, right. Anyway, there continue. you go. Okay. <laughs> a little magician side angle. Okay. So it's funny you said that because I was actually um, about to, I was, I was deciding if I wanted to go into the sort of obscure or not, but an interesting kind of conversation is around, you can um, look in if anyone's interested in like the origin around this or some of the theories is that. Um, well, I, I'm interested and it's my show. So please. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, uh, so Weston um, Price is actually a, a dentist that, you know, was back in the early 1900s had basically begun to look at some um, uh, some of the evolutionary changes that we're seeing in the skull shape of our, as kind of primates, basically, like what has happened yep. evolutionary and his theory. And he started going, looking at kind of um, modern day in the early 1900s tribes that were still kind of eating diets that would have been akin to what we would have had back in the, you know, during those um, kind of thousands, thousands of years of hunter-gatherer days. And he started taking documentation around that. And he was taking pictures of these. So you can see these pictures. It's kind of compelling foundation. Now it's become the Weston Price Foundation. 
And so there's these old pictures in the early 1900s of all the face structure of people that were living and eating in the way we would have before. And so part of his theory is that because of the kind of exposure to certain toxins that we are exposed to now, but certainly the kind of crappy foods that we're eating, that it's actually changing this, the shape of our faces, even as we age. I mean, this is, it, it, again, it's a kind of deeper, longer conversation, but... It's interesting. No, please. It's very, yeah, it's a, a kind of compelling thing in that it's looking at that we're kind of, our face is almost changing its structure and it's causing a lot more of these breathing issues that we're experiencing. Mm. Because uh, when we talk about sleep and breath, a lot of people, you know, you might think of sleep apnea and you're like, oh, well, that's only if you, you know, overweight and you're a man and yeah. it's finding more and more that's not really the case. Very skinny girls, you know, really? might be having these problems. Yeah. And a lot, and a really mm. very, and also it exists on a spectrum, which many people don't know too. It's not necessarily just like, okay, you have sleep apnea or you don't, uh, you might have mild, moderate or severe sleep apnea and you could, you know, be, and for many people, they're existing on that spectrum until it gets so bad that it's so exaggerated and their health has so deteriorated that then, and a lot of the side effects of poor sleep uh, contribute to people getting to the state that they get to when they finally get that diagnosis where they're gaining weight, they're having their cortisol and melatonin issues, and, you know, the balance of their hormones are all out of whack. So the ability for us to be able to breathe throughout the course of the night becomes really, really important. If anyone is dealing with anything like that, there's a great book called Sleep Interrupted that looks many of the different kind of variations of obstructed breathing that we might be going through. It also can really, you know, make it less like a funny haha thing. If like, you know, your dad's the snorer or what have you, it's like, no, really figure out what's going on with that and, you know, alleviate that problem or really make a difference with that problem because it can cause so many kind of, it's an insidious thing that happens if we're not getting the sleep we need. Is your boyfriend also into this or do you just like lecture him about this? So it's so funny you said that literally this morning he woke up and he goes, no, because his aura ring had died over the course of the night and he hadn't charged it. And he was all excited because he was like, I had the best sleep. Oh, I can't wait to, you know, whatever. And uh, to check the stats and then it had, you know, died. So I mentioned that because one that just happened this morning, we're laughing about it. But two, he kind of begrudgingly shifted over from that. So both of us were, like I said, you know, really living like upside down schedule, like lifestyles. He has a whole, a couple businesses in poker. So you can certainly imagine that the poor sleep habits of poker players uh, are very widespread. So for him, he was, you know, wanted to maintain the certain things that he would do, like just high amounts of blue light at night, drink coffee late, do, you know, all the things that he wants to just be able to do. When you say high high amounts of blue light, you mean just like from like a computer screen or an yes. iPhone? Or, so, okay. and he's a big, you know, both of us are kind of almost, you know, we have to really work to not be full on workaholics. Like we have to really, mm-hmm. really, you know, bring in those boundaries and habits, but if left to her, you know, certainly if left to his own device, you know, having the laptop up full brightness, maybe designing something, websites, whatever, and then just being hit with that is so it's really has a dopamine effect. And yeah. for those of us that kind of tread or t- trend towards the kind of dopamine type experiences in life, that can be one of the things that you want to keep around until you realize how much of damage it's doing for your, um, that chronobiology conversation. And what about, um, I guess on the topic of blue lights, what about red lights? Yes. I I know I got this on right now. Yeah, actually. Um, What do you have on right now? So this is actually from sauna space. It's like this guy. Um, Okay. 
Yeah, that one's kind of cool. So it actually gives off heat too, but it is uh, called the Photon. And okay. sauna space is kind of interesting if you're at all someone, um, I know like the EMF conversation is very controversial. So, you know, if, if you're someone that doesn't care about EMFs, great, then you can kind of have, there's a lot of different, you know, red light items that you can have. If you're someone that does care about EMFs, then sauna space is one that's supposed to be, you know, the one of the lower amounts of EMF output. But besides that, it basically is dealing with infrared light. And one of the benefits of that is that that's... Uh, uh, my, some... my, my understandings are different, right? There's, right? there's like the shortwave infrared, which is invisible, and then there's red light, which is visible, and it's two different spectrums. Is that correct? Or... Yes, yes. So with, okay. and with infrared light, it can be really powerful because... And it's also available for free in, in sunlight, in, in sunrise and sunset. So like that pinky hue that comes and is available, you know, for anyone and not necessarily needing to invest all the money that we do in red light therapy, not to say that it's exclusive, but that is something that's available for all of us. But yeah, it can really have those healing kind of benefits. And NASA was actually one of the first groups to kind of popularize or, or to draw attention to some of the benefits of this through, they were looking at wound healing for astronauts in space to ways to kind of, you know, facilitate that if they're having any sort of, if things go awry on a space shuttle, they want to be able to heal fast with velocity, essentially. And I've heard that using red light before bed can help you go to sleep or get better sleep. Is there truth to that? Yeah. So um, for a couple of reasons, and one of the overarching frameworks that we talk about at Sleep as a Skill is called circadian rhythm entrainment. And it's something that, you know, you can open up any chronobiology textbook and really understand that we can entrain our circadian rhythm and that our circadian rhythm exists on a weak or a strong spectrum. And that, you know, I would make the argument that most of us, certainly in the Western society, would be operating closer to a weak side of our circadian rhythm, meaning that just the signaling process for our bodies to be able to know like, okay, it's time to get up, you know, get up with velocity, you know, have a nice raise in cortisol in the morning and then a drop in the evening and then shifting over to melatonin at night. If, we're, if that's really strong, it just sort of happens. And it's like, you know, the friends that you go out with and they just, they still always get sleepy at the same time that they always go to bed. Mm-hmm. They always wake up at the same time they wake I'm, up. I'm no jealous of those people, honestly. Right. <laughs> right. And it, a lot of it can do from just their cueing mechanisms around their environment. And so if you think about it again, from like that evolutionary perspective, if we were basically sleeping more outside within nature, and the sun is rising. So the, the cue of the sun, uh, the light, but then also the cue of its accompanying temperature because it's warming up the earth around you. Those two cues act as a very huge, very clear evolutionary signal to as diurnal creatures were meant to be active during the way day and at rest at night. And so we would have gone through that process of kind of, you know, you only have a certain amount of sunlight throughout the course of the day. And then when the sun sets, it's like really party over. Later on in history, we discovered fire. Like I've read that hunter gathers, or if you live in an environment, like even before electricity, that traditionally that you had like two sleeps in the night. Yeah. So, and that was kind of um, popularized too, uh, understanding a, a particular theory that it's likely that we did have some time where we would have woke up and we might've like had sex or, you know, talked about things or, you know, different things that might've happened. Yeah, or both. Exactly. Um, and so that's an interesting theory. And and there's some discussion about was that is also it, is it only just a theory? I mean, uh, from my understanding, it's pretty well documented that there was like literally first sleep and second sleep. And that was a thing up until yeah. a few hundred years ago. 
So a couple of things about that. One is that, yeah, it definitely looks like it for sure happened with a question was, was it almost like this kind of trend based thing that had happened for a period of time, like it was almost in vogue to do this. So that was an interesting, you know, kind of look Hmm. of whether or not was this a time period thing or was this, you know, stretching across, you know, across time. But certainly uh, waking up throughout the course of the night is not uncommon. And a lot of people will, you know, sleep as a skill come to me and they want to sleep, they want to fall asleep and then wake up the next morning, which just doesn't often usually really happen for most of us. It usually is a wake up or two throughout the course of the night. And that can often be totally normal and fine. But also if you look at the length of time that people likely to have been sleeping in the past was much, much longer and would have absolutely pointed to a higher likelihood that we would have had these two parts to our sleep, particularly in the winter months, because from a seasonal perspective, we would have actually just, you know, augmented the total sleep time that we would have had during the winter. Um, And that really sets us up to have that kind of two-part system to our sleep. And, you know, getting back to the red light element, part of the reason that that can be valuable for people is that if you're training yourself to, well, if we're trying to like almost have our cake and eat it too, you know, to be able to now be a part of whatever, watch Game of Thrones or something, but still maintain that kind of function of the cortisol rise and fall and then uh, that accompanying melatonin rise, then red light can be a nice little hack to ensure that we're not impacting the quality of our melatonin production in the evening. So do that after you watch Game of Thrones? (laughs) or even during Game of Thrones. And so, well, it's a couple of things. So one of the recommendations, and this is a a really interesting thing out of, I just had attended Sleep 2020, this, it's usually live, but online conference. And, you know, it's all these great sleep researchers and doctors and, and together, the real takeaway out of this entire, well, not the real, but one of the big takeaways out of this entire thing was bright days, dim nights. And Mm -hmm. I mean, literally that can be one of the clearest ways to help assist with the automaticity of our sleep. But one of the recommendations is actually putting on candles in the evening. And this was something that, and this was another uh, researcher that had done a, a really interesting study with NASA, specifically looking at static lighting versus dynamic lighting and how much of a difference that made on melatonin production. And that's a big deal for astronauts because while they're in space, on average, the sun is rising and setting you know, around every 90 minutes, which can be very, very confusing to the body. It's like, what are you doing? What's up? What's down? Right. So they do a lot with circadian health to ensure that they're keeping their astronauts on a 24-hour rhythm versus that sort of crazy rhythm. Yeah. Let me ask you something. There's so much to unpack. I feel like you talk about candles. You could probably talk an hour on candles if you wanted to. <laughs> Or like, depending on the kind of candle, you could probably talk an hour on each kind of candle. I'm almost thinking, you know, I know we only have about an hour. I'd almost want to make this kind of like an introductory to just sleep concepts. And we'll have a bunch of different links in the show notes. And you can kind of send me any resources or materials for people. I mean, some people listening to me interested and want to just do more of their own research. You want to come back sometime and maybe even just do a few where, you know, each time we could just drill down on like one or two specific topics. I think that'd be very useful for people. It's just, there's so much. And I don't, and so I, and I don't want to try to talk about everything because we're not going to get to everything. 
And yes. I'm just like blown away how much there is by something that I don't think most of us think much about. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's so, you know, to really take it home, um, I really do believe in the name of this company that sleep is a skill. And I'm making this argument that it's really become a skill set, just like you would learn anything else, that it's we're at a point in history where it really is requiring that we kind of go back to school on this topic. And of course, I get the irony of of this. Like, you know, again, if you were to go back thousands of years and try to make that argument, it would probably fall in deaf ears. But, you know, 2016, the World Health Organization um, put out some stats claiming that the average person in America is spending over 90% of their days inside. And, you know, the reason that that's important for our sleep is that we're kind of becoming more and more like these indoor zoo animals. And we are uh, devoid of those external natural cues that would have been keeping us on that time pattern at such a level that now just with our, you know, indoor thermostat like Nest or, you know, and all of our LED lighting and all that stuff is really messing with us in a ways that I think we're not comprehending. And then also some of our patterns with the eating patterns of eating late. Um, right. you know, working out late, all of those things. So we can absolutely unpack that more for sure. Right. Lighting. I feel like you could do three hours. Talking oh about yeah. Lighting. Yeah. Why don't we stop here? But before we go, what is, is there, you know, for someone who, you know, doesn't want to hear you again, this is like, okay, Molly's interesting, yes. but you know, I don't want to ever hear any more episodes. <laughs> I don't want to spend three hours listening yes. to lighting. I do, but oh, yeah. not everyone might. Totally so for someone that. like that, can you kind of like water yourself down? I know this is hard to do if yeah. you're so into it, but like, can you water yourself down and just give like maybe a few basic tips yes. of someone who's like, okay, how do I get better sleep? Either like they want to just sleep a little bit better. Or they're not sleeping well. Is there are a few basic tips that you can give. And I know you're not giving medical advice. This is just yes. sort of from your own experience. But, yeah, yeah, perfect. Using that circadian rhythm entrainment as our model, then we can do the top most important to um, kind of lower impact things. So top most important is that light. And that's why we're, you know, so, and we're not trying to beat a dead horse. It's just that it's that valuable and it's that transformative if people really get that in their bones. So light being number one. So really working, if you get nothing out of what I'm saying, you're just so not interested. One thing that I would hope that people would test out is first thing in the morning, getting outside. Um, And the reason for that is, you know, not with sunglasses, not with hats, not with, you know, everything you're trying to get as much light in your eyes and on your skin as possible because that will connect to your master clock. Um, and then also with, you know, many, many, many clocks in virtually every cell in our body that have photoreceptors that are attuned to the light. So that will help with um, maintaining that consistent wake time. And then that actually corresponds to when you'll get sleepy at night, which is a really cool kind of formula that many of us aren't aware of. So just even starting there, if you do nothing else, test that out. And then from that light part, the flip side of light is dark. So if you're looking to develop more melatonin and don't just, you know, ideally, um, I would suggest not just going to, you know, relying on melatonin from a bottle because it doesn't work the same way. We have concerns around uh, necessarily doing that. So for building your own melatonin production, then you want to go towards darkness and really create a dark environment because it's known as the hormone of darkness. Um, So create that. Then underneath did the, did the eye mask help with that? Yeah, the eye mask will help, but you still, your skin is still exposed to any Getting lights exposed. that might be in your vi- environment. Uh, so but blue blockers. Okay. Yeah, but good point because your eyes are very much, that's the primary element. So that's connected okay. to your suprachiasmatic nucleus um, in your brain, which is that master clock. And the eyes are going to really, really be impacted. That's why the blue blockers and not the clear though, unfortunately, 
the in the evening you want the red or orange in the uh, night. So doing that from the light component, then underneath that is temperature. You want to get your temperature up as high as not as high as possible, but you want it high throughout the course of the day, and you want it to be dropping into the evening. And so you can do that by both ambient um, temperature, but then of course you can do that from refraining from late night eating that will raise up your body temperature. You can play with some stuff around cold therapy and heat therapy. So like utilizing uh, kind of cold showers and hot showers and that sort of stuff. And then things like from gadgets perspective, you can use like a chili pad, bed jet, um, any of those things to kind of cool down your bed itself. And then underneath temperature, there's all these other things that will impact that temperature too. So of course, like, you know, the common sense things of working out too late, but also working out late and being under like a lot of blue light. Um, So kind of rearranging your schedule to ensure that you're having a circadian crafted day. Then the meal timing one is big. Unfortunately, alcohol is just a big one that uh, no matter, you know, if you're tracking, you'll often just see that kind of come up. I've tried just about every which way. The best I can come up with for people is to drink earlier in the day. So if you do like a boozy brunch or a happy hour, that can help stave off some of the negative effects for your sleep. Um, But often it will still impact your HRV or heart rate variability if you're into tracking that metric. But then underneath that, of course, caffeine, we know the impacts of that. So the timing of that, looking to have that be earlier on in the day. And then thought timing is a really interesting one, which Ebb um, is a company that I often reference, not because you have to get the gadget or anything, but just I think it's interesting. They've done clinical trials on their on their piece of tech, which is basically it cools your prefrontal cortex because they've found that chronic insomniacs are exhibiting a warming of the brain tissue and the prefrontal cortex. So by cooling that seems to help with sleep latency issues. So the ability to fall asleep faster. So that can lead kind of reverence for the type of thoughts that we're thinking, uh, you know, like a hothead or some of those sayings, then it gets, you know, this gets a little more esoteric, but it's an interesting thought around, I can either have a kind of cooling or lowering of like Hertz production in my brain, or I can have really just heightening things and warming up my overall body temperature. So just kind of, you know, training for that, which is a very kind of long-term training. But those are some things that you can do to make a difference with your sleep. But if you're starting out, I would also suggest getting a sleep tracker. It seems to kind of gamify things. There's so many kind of like buzzy, fun things to be doing at night that can often take us away from the prioritization of sleep. Whereas if you're kind of tracking and gamifying and also bringing like friends into the conversation around that, then it can suddenly become almost like an oddly fun thing to improve. What's a good sleep tracker you recommend? Yeah. So I have every client, um, as of right now in 2020, I have every client wearing the aura ring and it's a great targeted sleep tracker and it's just very user-friendly. It's just a ring. Do you find it helps people? Yes, definitely helps people. I will say any tracker that's on the hand or wrist, not to get too crazy about the sleep stages, because unfortunately none of them are really going to do their, you know, they have their best algorithms their best guess, but instead what they're pretty good at is, are you asleep or are you awake? And then looking at the patterns of your heart throughout the course of the night, your HRV, your respiratory rate, and your body temperature. And that can show us a lot about your sleep quality. I've had people be able to tell or to suspect that they had sleep apnea through their kind of out of the bell curve uh, stats. And then they go and get tested. And lo and behold, they do have some of those abnormalities. So it can be really, really helpful. You can also, there's enough studies now looking at its ability to spot COVID early so on average, in different studies with the aura ring, they can spot it about three days in advance before you might be displaying symptoms from your HRV dri- dropping, heart rate uh, going up, respiratory rate going up, and body temperature going up. 
So that can be really helpful for overall health and well-being. And then in the future, I do anticipate that we'll see more brain-based ones. Right now, they're just none of them are particularly comfortable, wearable over the long term. They kind of fall off and that sort of thing. But of course, that would be those are ideal because we'd be able to get more of an understanding of what your brain's doing while you're sleeping. Interesting. Well, anyway, Molly, this was fascinating. Definitely have to have you back on to go a bit deeper into some of these topics. If you could do me a favor, shoot me an email with just some recommendations of some of these products. Sure. People to hear this, not really know what necessarily what to buy. So that could be yeah, helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And we're actually on our website looking, we're putting together a like kind of massive recommendation list too. Okay. Um, and what's so, your site? So um, our website is sleepisaskill.com. And what is great about that is that you kind of acts as like a bucket for a bunch of different things that you can do no matter where you're at with your sleep. So uh, one, you can get a free downloadable PDF called the Optimized Bedroom. So it's like 18 things, low-tech, high-tech that you can do to shift your bedroom environment for optimal sleep. But then signing up for that, you'll also get a weekly email every Monday that, you know, Molly's Monday Obsessions, all the things I'm going nuts about in sleep and health. And then you can also take a sleep assessment if you are struggling with your sleep and want to have, you know, real people kind of feedback uh, on your sleep and then see about if you want to have further accountability, you can certainly, you know, have those discussions too. And then we do have the Sleep is a Skill podcast on there as well with weekly episodes that come out on that. So lots of different ways to kind of get into that conversation. All right, cool. Well, anyway, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on and have a uh, great rest of your night. Oh, thank you. You too. And great sleep to you. Yeah, thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Let's go. Let's go. Five, four, three, two, one. The Harry Schlein Podcast.